coming up on the Inside Indiana Business Television podcast. A huge announcement from Eli Lilly means hundreds of new Hoosier jobs. TechPoint wants you to switch to skills-based hiring. We talk takeaways from Indiana's first global economic summit. A new Indiana innovation targets blood clots. Big changes continue in college sports. The Wonder Road Music Festival is coming. And we break down business headlines with our panel of insiders. Welcome to the Inside Indiana Business Television Podcast. I'm Andy Ober. Eli Lilly has announced plans to invest more than $2 billion to build two manufacturing plants and add 500 jobs in Lebanon. What does it mean for the Boone County City? Mayor Matthew Gentry talked all about it with Inside Indiana Business host Gary Dick. A lot of people talk about change on the way with this big announcement, but really, and I know we had you on the show a couple of months ago, change has been happening. There's, there's been a growth trajectory in Bloomington for some, or in Lebanon for some time. Well, and, you know, all of Boone County, really. You yeah. know, we're currently the fastest growing county in Indiana, and we've been seeing this coming for a long time, and we've been trying to lay out the groundwork to prepare for that going forward. All right, let's talk about the big announcement uh, just a couple of weeks ago in a big week for Indiana as well. Eli Lilly and Company, two manufacturing plants in this new Leap uh, Innovation District, $2.1 billion investment, big investment, 500 jobs, high paying jobs. The impact that you see this having? Uh, it's transformational. You know, it, it's, you know, you think about companies you want to have in your community, and Eli Lilly is the top of that list. You know, they're, they're a phenomenal company to, to work for. They, do, they make amazing products, but they're also the largest charitable benefactor in the state as well, too. So uh, we're thrilled to have that partnership and have that Eli Lilly presence uh, in Lebanon soon. I think an interesting piece of this is where they're going, this new Leap Innovation District, uh, if you will, which uh, will be a sprawling uh, development. How do you see that? I know Lily probably two, three years before this plant is these plants were operational, but how do you see that developing? Well, I think this was this is a big vision of the state of, mm-hmm. you know, how do we compete on a national level for these large uh, you know, big investments, right? And we want, and they want shovel-ready type sites for this. And you know, the state looked around and said, "Hey, we don't have any inventory." Um, and they made a big effort and push to say, "You know, where can we go with this?" And they, you know, for a variety of factors, they chose Lebanon. And you know, we're working with that partnership with the state because we do see the benefits of the, the types of jobs, the level of investment, um, but also just the more attention it brings. I mean, I think if anybody looks at the the research triangle out in North Carolina, you see what that's done for those communities out there and the types of great opportunities it provides for. You know, people today, but then also generations in the future. Talk about that, because I know Dave Ricks at the announcement kind of mentioned this research triangle idea, but you look at Purdue University, world-class institution, just up 65, you come down 65, you got Lebanon, that uh, your community, everything going on there, down to Indianapolis, the airport, world-class airport. So the kind of the the ingredients seem to be in place for something like that. How can, just kind of looking out into the crystal ball, what, what can we expect to happen as this park develops and the other developments uh, happen as well. Well, I, mean, I think Eli Lilly is the first tenant in there, uh, you know, but I think, you know, when other companies look around and say, hey, where do we want to invest our capital? Yeah, they're going to see, hey, Eli Lilly made the decision to go to Lebanon and, and be part of this leap district. And, you know, if we're going to make a decision of where to go in Indiana, I think that's going to be at the top of their list. So this will have ripple effects. You know, we'll see additional um, uh, residential needs, right? We'll see growth there. We'll see more restaurants, opportunities, amenities, things you, that people want from a community. They want to see more of those opportunities and, you know, places that they want to live and raise their family. Talent, obviously, is a huge mm-hmm. issue, not only in this, well, our conversation, but around the state of Indiana. 
we mentioned Purdue, and I know as you and I were talking off camera, the need to make sure more of those Purdue graduates stay in Indiana and kind of feed that pipeline. Yeah, this is a huge, I think, a problem that Indiana is trying to wrestle with. You know, we have one of the great, you know, as a Boilermaker, I'm a little biased, but, uh, you know, we've got a great research university here in Indiana, and, and unfortunately we lose a lot of that talent goes out state, right? So how do we, you know, as a state and as communities, how do we develop us into places that people want to stay um, and use those skills and make Indiana better and, and, and help make our entire nation better? With growth comes challenges, no question Always, about yep. it. So these are positive announcements, but real challenges when it comes to infrastructure and all kinds of things. What what things uh, are, are, are you concerned about? Are you worried about? Are you planning for as you look at this growth? Yeah, we actually started planning for a lot of this uh, five years ago when I first came in as mayor. You know, we, we talked about, hey, how do we look at our thoroughfare plan? What are our, 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 what's our road infrastructure look like? You know, what do we have to do from a utility standpoint to be able to, to serve these types of areas? Um, but then we also have to figure out how we have the conversation with the neighbors as well how do we balance kind of that that transition from a you know more of an ex-urban rural community to a you know part of the Indianapolis metropolitan area you talk about housing and, and just the residential piece of it, not just for Lebanon, but more broadly in Boone County there as you go down to, to Whitestown and there was an announcement for McLaren, new facility there, uh, Amazon, you got a lot of development going on there. The demand for housing obviously is going to be significant. Yeah, I mean, if you, uh, you know, I'm looking for a house right now and can't find one either, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the huge demand for housing in Boone County. So it's kind of a, just a, a matter of, you know, we need the market to kind of catch up and, and, and for them, that, for the builders to meet that demand. And so we, you know, we partner with the builders to try to find uh, creative housing options of all different types, because my goal is to make Lebanon a, a community for all people of, of all walks of life. And uh, we want to have housing at all different price points and all different levels. What's been the reaction of being getting calls or fielding any calls from folks after the, the Lilly announcement, because it was such a big announcement, got a lot of attention, uh, a lot of attention now beginning to shift to, to Lebanon? Well, you know, there's been, um, the, 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 the positive feedback has been there for sure, but then there's also negative feedback too, right? There's a lot of people that are in the area they're nearby it that have concerns and we're going to have those conversations and work through that public process but I would say to me personally the response is overwhelming and yeah. it's been it's been overwhelmingly positive yeah all right Mayor Matt Gentry uh, from City of Lebanon a lot going on and a lot will be going on to be sure Matt Mayor thank you for joining us thanks for having me all right Tech Point says now is the time to switch to skills-based hiring the organization believes its new job description playbook could help resolve some of Indiana's biggest tech talent challenges. Senior Manager of Career Pathways, Natalie Wensler, joined us with more. There's a statistic here that TechPoint, I think, is very interesting, uh, saying that Hoosier employers are currently excluding 95% or more of Hoosiers they're trying to hire. Shocking statistic. What do you mean by that? Yes, that statistic is very dramatic. And here's how we get to the 95%. Nearly 80% of job postings require a degree on that job posting. The reality is only 23% of native Hoosiers have a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. So we're eliminating talent before we're even seeing them. Mm -hmm. And we know that Hoosiers have the skills. And when we think of the other elements that take people out of consideration, including saying you need a certain number of years of experience mm -hmm. or biased language on job postings, it's again, decreasing the talent pool that we know uh, skilled workers have here in Indiana. So when you're talking about skills-based hiring, give us the kind of the definition, if you will, of what, that, what that's all about. Yes, we wanna remove credential requirements whenever possible. That doesn't mean that we're diminishing the value mm -hmm. of a college education. We know in Indiana, in order for us to remain competitive, we need to increase the college graduation rate. Mm -hmm. We wanna be mindful of the 
majority of jobs just do not require a bachelor's degree. Then we also want to make sure that we're being very specific of what skills someone needs in that role. Mm -hmm. And inherently, we're reducing these biases in this process because we're focused on truly the success, the success factors that yeah. someone needs to yeah. be in that role. Yeah, and, and skills-based hiring has been around for a long time. This isn't a new concept. Other states have done it. I know you and I were talking off camera, Colorado, a state that, that's doing it. What makes Indiana's approach perhaps unique? Yes, Indiana's approach is fantastic. Governor Holcomb has been pivotal in making sure that we're focused on skills-based practices, as well as mm -hmm. our Indiana Office of Technology has removed credential requirements in their job postings as well as a, a collaboration mm -hmm. with the Indiana State Department. Yeah, so you've got uh, a, a playbook. Uh, yes. TechPoint has a playbook when it comes to skills-based hiring. What are some of the things you, that, that employers can look at and kind of take away from this, this playbook? Yes, our playbook helps to show, well, what are the benefits mm -hmm. of taking a skills-based approach? And what are some examples as well? It shows a traditional job posting as well as a skills-based job posting. So tech companies can see, well, what skills should I be considering? And then how can I improve my job postings that I'm putting out on the market? Yeah, so TechPoint, obviously, you're really focused on the tech industry. Uh, this is part of a bigger, uh, I think, approach that you feel can really add to the tech workforce. You think this skills-based hiring uh, concept, if it's adopted by more and more people, can really, really help fuel the pipeline. Yes, we must inclusively grow our tech workforce ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And by making sure that we're taking a skills-based approach, we're opening opportunities for underrepresented groups, people of color and women, so that they are able to be considered more in the tech roles that we have available here in Indiana. Mm -hmm. I know Lily, One America, Cummins among companies that, that already implement this. So, so those examples, I guess, can serve as, for lack of a better term, role models for other companies. Yes, they are fantastic partners in showing the power of what mm -hmm. taking a skills-based approach looks like to improve diversity, to reduce time to hire, and to make sure that we're truly giving opportunities to all. Yeah, talent workforce, certainly uh, top-level uh, challenges for the state of Indiana. Natalie Winsler is a senior manager of Career Pathways at TechPoint. Natalie, great to have you on the show. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, thank you, Gary. All right. June is here, and the weather's heating up. Fortunately, Indiana offers plenty of options when you're craving frozen treats. Reporter Mary Rachel Redmond has the story. Well, June is officially Dairy Month nationwide, and there's no one better or more qualified to talk milk than Heather Tallman of the American Dairy Association of Indiana. I caught up with her via Zoom to get the dish on dairy trends. Yum. That thing says summer like the savory, creamy frozen treat. That is ice cream. In just about every nook and cranny in the state, Tallman tells me you can easily find that special nostalgic place that just seems to hit the sweet spot. If you're in the Monroe County area, there are two local favorites like the Chocolate Moose and Jiffy Treat. If you're up in Goshen, Indiana, there's the Chief or everyone's favorite in Upland, which is called Ivanhoe's. An emerging trend in dairy, individually wrapped and seasoned cheeses, and flavored milks. Different milks that are mint chocolate chip, or in the fall you could find pumpkin spice milk. You're going to see more trends moving towards individually packaged cheeses, or maybe cheeses that are 
not what we would necessarily consider traditional flavors, maybe pizza flavored cheese. Here in Indiana, we feel like we're uniquely positioned in the country for dairy processing. We have over 700 farm families across the state. So we, we produce a lot of dairy in Indiana. Now to Southern Indiana and Clark County, where two cities continue to see unprecedented growth that really started to take off in 2020 during the height of the pandemic. So why are folks flocking to Jeffersonville and Charlestown, especially from just across the river in Louisville? Everything that was happening with COVID in major metropolitan areas was kind of pushing people out to these areas where they would rather just maybe drive and commute and work in other places or shifting the job market entirely. I think it's helped people focus more on quality of life. The secret's out <laughs> that uh, Clark County is is really a, a wonderful place to live. And Charlestown is certainly seeing that happen. And in Northwest Indiana, the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi Indians says construction of its 23-story hotel in South Bend is on track to finish late this year. The 300-plus room hotel will be connected to the Four Winds Casino. The project also includes 45,000 square feet of additional gaming space that's expected to create close to 400 jobs. For a look at more Hoosier headlines and stories across the state, visit our website at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. The inaugural Indiana Global Economic Summit has come and gone. Did it have the impact on CEOs, ambassadors, and thought leaders that the state was hoping for? Indiana Secretary of Commerce Brad Chambers came on the show with the big takeaways. I'm uh, Gary, I'm so excited about uh, this week. Obviously, in Indiana, it's been a terrific week economically. Um, and then we, you know, we, we bookmarked this great week with a, another global event, the Indianapolis 500. But but to have 30 countries fly from all over the world to visit us in Indiana, to, to deepen our friendships um, to, for the betterment of our economy and in just our relationships generally, it, the, the, the engagement from our international friends has been just unbelievable. Yeah. Let's talk about this week and two big announcements, huge announcements. Uh, one in Kokomo with uh, uh, Stellantis and Samsung SDI, uh, $2.1 at least to start out. Right. 1,400 jobs right. into the electric vehicle market in a, in a big way. How, right. how significant, uh, beyond the obvious, is that announcement? Right. Well, I mean, when I started last July, you know, we came out very clearly with a five-point strategy to for the future of Indiana's economy. And, and, and two of those five E's were building an economy of the future and leaning into sustainability and the energy transition. And I, I don't think there's a, a better bullseye than Stellantis and Samsung joint venturing to build uh, EV batteries in the state of Indiana and, and taking advantage of Indiana's advanced uh, manufacturing DNA. I mean, we just build things in Indiana and, and we're building things for the future now, especially with that investment. As you look at electric vehicles and that market, obviously we're seeing a lot of substantial investment uh, around the country. There will be more, no, no doubt. How confident are you that Indiana can continue to grab uh, a share of that big market? I, I mean, I, I've set high and aspirational goals. I wanna not just participate in the energy transition, I think Indiana can lead, literally lead in the energy transition. I mean, there's a statistic that not many people know, but we are fourth in the United States of America for the production of clean energy. That, and our coal consumption is down from in the 70s and 80s below 50%. Yeah. So our fossil fuel reduction is going on. So we, we, are, we are gaining, we're like an Indy car. We are, we are coming out of the pits and we're really gaining speed in, in that. Okay, you followed up that 
big announcement with another big announcement, Eli Lilly and Company announcing not one but two manufacturing plants, the new innovation park uh, in Boone County, Lebanon, uh, 500 jobs, high paying jobs. Talk about the impact of uh, an investment like that from anyone is huge, but to have it come from uh, the marquee company like Lilly, I think it's maybe extra special. Oh my gosh, it is extra special. I mean, you know, Lilly is such an important, uh, you know, and I used a story the other day that Lilly's a story of entrepreneurship as, as well as it is global leadership. It's one of the 25 most valuable companies in the world. And so it is also a global company. So it it, it really leverages on, on the investment we're making in this global summit. But to have Lilly say, we want to invest $2.1 billion in central Indiana for the growth of our company in the next 10, 20, 30 years, as Dave Rick said, um, we, we just couldn't be more proud and more fortunate. And, and it's a testament to Lilly's commitment to Indiana, short-term, mid, med, medium-term, and long-term, but it's also a testament to Indiana and what we can offer Lilly. They're, they're smart folks, mm-hmm. and they're going to go, what's the best investment for Lilly? And, and so they made the decision that Indiana is that, is that uh, highest return for this, for this investment. Certainly these two big announcements uh, getting the headlines, but uh, an even bigger story is uh, kind of that bigger picture investment story that's taking place that's in right. 2022. We have blown $8.3 billion of mm-hmm. CapEx for 21 out of the water, and we're only five months in. Yeah. So it's uh, and, and it's just a, it's a testament to the to the state's environment. It's a testament to our team, and it's a testament to shooting higher and, and and being aspirational for our state and believing in our product. Back to the wages because that has been a big issue here in Indiana for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Uh, certainly, a, an announcement like Lilly is going is going to help that in a big way. Right. The, the, the bigger picture, do you feel good about where that average wage is is headed in Indiana? On average, it's 20% higher than last year, and last year it was even higher. So um, I'm super excited about where the wages are heading, and, and it's because we're focused on going to get the industries we want, not just accept the industries we get. We're being very focused on how we grow our economy strategically uh, and the wages that come with those, uh, the, those, uh, the, those jobs and those industries. We're trying to curate an economy in the next 20 or 30 years to, to lift people up mm-hmm. economically, and it's working. I mean, this, this week uh, and this year is, is a testament to having a plan and working the plan. Mm-hmm. Well, for highlights of the summit and to read more about the big deals, head to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Remember, you can catch Inside Indiana Business television on stations throughout the state every weekend. Head to InsideIndianaBusiness.com to check listings. A first-of-its-kind homegrown innovation could help prevent blood clots in at-risk patients. Hamilton County-based Recovery Force Health says it could be a difference maker in health care. President Jason Bobe spoke with Kylie Valletta in the Business of Health. Congratulations on the product launch. I know this has been a long time coming, so let's just dive right in. Tell us, what is the MAC system, and how is it so different than what folks are used to seeing in the hospital? Sure. So the MAC system is a portable, non-pneumatic device that doesn't have cords or tubes like the standard of care does and allows the patient to get up and move inside the hospital. Um, Those other devices have been around for 30, 40 years with no innovation. So they were designed for bed rest, where ours was built for mobility. 
And so let's talk about that mobility piece just a little bit more. It's a really big deal, a big feature of your product. And you said sometimes when people are in the hospital, they almost feel stuck in yeah. bed. So explain just a little bit more on the mobility piece of your product. Yeah, you'd be surprised when you go to the hospital, 95% of a patient's day is often laying in bed. And that's something that we're trying to change and help the caregivers so we give them the squeeze, the compression when they need it, when they are bed bound and can't get out of bed. And then when they are able to get out of bed, we're able to get them up a lot easier because our device tracks similar to a Fitbit, but for a healthcare patient. So it allows them to get up and get around a lot easier. And I like how on the device, you can actually see the feedback. The doctors and nurses can see it, but the patient can see on the device too, how many steps they've taken, et cetera. Yes, you can go into a patient's room without ever meeting them and tell them exactly what they've been up to over the last 24 to 48 hours. It's really neat. All right, let's talk about this national convention you just got back from. It really, you've, we had FDA approval about a year ago. So this was really kind of the big unveiling for yeah. your company. So tell us about the convention why it was so important. Yeah, this is our coming out party. It was exciting and it was our commercial launch and we did our alpha and beta testing for the last year. And what that did was allow us to optimize it and get it ready for a national scale. And so we went to uh, Houston two weeks ago and had a phenomenal showing, tons of leads that we got out of it and a lot of nurses trying on the device and really seeing what it's all about because nobody knows who we are. So that's our ability to get out the brand and also about the product. All right. And you're such a great Indiana story. Obviously, you're based here. You've been working with hospitals here to develop it and perfect it. You're manufacturing here. Uh, talk a little bit just about the hospitals, uh, that segment, and also um, manufacturing here. Yeah, we're, we're excited. I mean, it's right here in Indiana. Central Indiana is where we call home. Um, we've grown our team by over 50% in the last couple of years um, and intend to do that even more as we grow. Um, and we're partnering with local hospitals. So IU Health just completed a great study design and uh, had awesome results with our device and looking to publish here in the near term. And then community hospitals looking to bring us on board as well uh, starting next month. So a lot of great things going on for the company. And manufacturing right there in Noblesville as well, Yes, correct? absolutely. So we have our contract manufacturer in uh, I just Fortville. said Noblesville. It's actually it's Fishers, Fishers, right? It's Fishers, yeah, <laughs> okay. that's okay. Uh, we have some assembly in Fishers and then some contract manufacturing going on in Fortville. So all within 10 minutes away from each other. All right, very good. And I like it. You said your target market is anyone in in a hospital bed. That's right. <laughs> Anyone that goes to the hospital that's going to be bed bound for long term. Obviously, the critical care patient's a big deal for us, cardiovascular, neuro, and trauma. But any patient that's going to lay in bed over 95% of the day potentially is a candidate for our device. All right. Very good. Well, congratulations on the commercial launch and keep us posted. Thank you very much. IU East wants to teach the next generation of Hoosier students how to run a company. It's doing it using its unique BOSS program. IU East Center for Entrepreneurship Director Tim Scales and recent graduate Cole Fosbrink talked about it in our Ion Education segment. Tim, you were the founder. You created the BOSS program 15 years ago, and we were talking. Um, you, this was only going to be a two-year program. It's 15 years old. You've connected with thousands of students. That's correct, Gary. So 15 years ago, I was challenged by the state of Indiana to create this program. It would be for high school students. Mm -hmm. Two years, 160 students. And at the end of two years, then hopefully we could sustain it. But we weren't sure. Mm -hmm. and, and so that was, that was my goal. Yeah. And 15 years later, we're sitting at the table because we have been able to sustain it. And you're correct. Just, uh, just right over 5,000 students have gone through the program. What, what's been the impact? Because entrepreneurship is, uh, a lot of people talk about it, mm -hmm. uh, such a, in my view, a necessary thing in our state. What's been the impact in your view of the BOSS program? Well, it's been interesting because it's given a lot of students the opportunity to dream and think 
think, bigger than what they had before. Several of those students have started businesses, mm -hmm. mostly start small and grow big. Yeah. But you know, 15 years ago, it might have just been one or two small businesses. Today, there are much larger businesses that are coming out of it. So it takes time for entrepreneurship to grow. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's just been amazing the opportunities the students have taken advantage of through the program. Sometimes they started a small business on the side. Other times, it became their full career. Yeah. And so I'm proud of those students. Yeah. Another program you started, uh, the CEO program, Cash Equals Opportunities. And Cole, I know you're a participant, uh, leader of that program, teaching finally financial literacy. Talk about the, the CEO program. Yeah, so we noticed that not much financial literacy was being taught in high schools and education at that level. So we just started a program, myself and two other students, to create a curriculum that just teaches financial literacy and personal finance to high school kids. What have you seen as the the impact of that and connecting with, with young people on these some basic skills that are so important, you know, once they get out into the real world, if you will? Yeah, a big impact has been being asked to come back into the schools. Mm -hmm. The kids, they of course take all that knowledge with them, and the teachers as well love it. They ask us to come back and keep teaching their kids that stuff. Now, what's uh, you, you just started a job? Just graduated? Just started a job at a bank in in Richmond? Uh, your your aspirations career-wise? Well, part of the reason it's called the CEO program is because that's what we eventually want it to be. Mm -hmm. And so that is the goal in life. Good. I like that. Now, Tim, 15 years, you've had great impact, but you're not stopping. You're not slowing down. Not at all. You've got big plans for the BOSS program to take it on a statewide basis. I do indeed, because this year we just finished a two-week pilot at the mm -hmm. IU East campus. And the pilot program is the BOSS experience. And that was with graduate students, so students who recently graduated from the college. And so now we've tried that, and it worked very, very well. So next year, I want to take the pilot program from this year, take it statewide. So I would love next year to see every IU campus involved in the boss experience. And then after that, we'll see where it goes across the yeah. state. But next year, for sure, all IU campuses. Well, it is a program uh, having big impact, the BOSS program, and uh, Tim Scales, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for creating this program, and good luck with this, uh, the, the program going forward. Cole Fosbrink, uh, good luck to you. You're fresh out of college. I think you're destined for some great things as well. Thank you both. Thanks, thanks Gary. All right. One of the best in the business breaks down the future of college sports in the face of name, image, and likeness deals and leadership changes at the NCAA. Sporting News College basketball columnist Mike DeCourcy spoke with Bill Benner on Inside Indiana Sports. About three weeks ago, as all this was unfolding, uh, you wrote a column in the Sporting News that said, hey, it's, it's all going to be okay, but, you know, we got... Uh, Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, they're firing at each other. We got $800,000 transfers. We got booster consortiums. Please help me to think that it's going to be okay, okay? Well, I, I, it, will be, it will be different. There's no question. We're going to see a lot of significant changes. The NCAA has a transformation committee that's going on now that was supposed to be done uh, in time for football season, basically probably not going to finish their work on schedule. But they're, they're, So it's going to change. And every single person that I either talk to or is involved in college football thinks that ultimately high major football uh, will separate uh, in some way from the NCAA. I don't really know what they get out of that, uh, but, they, but that's the plan. I, they're going to, in some way, move that operation out of the NCAA's purview. Uh, so, so there are going to be significant changes, but 
Fundamentally, there's still this really popular enterprise known as college athletics that benefits so many and that so many appreciate. And so I think that we'll find a way to make this work. Well, and you mentioned uh, the fact that can the, will the NCAA, again, if the power conferences break away, uh, will the NCAA survive? Will the, ba- will the basketball, Division One basketball tournament, so important here in Indianapolis, will it, is it going to be okay? Yeah, I don't think that the big schools are going to break away. I think they're going to take the football operation. Remember, right now, the NCAA has very little to do with high major football. Uh, it, do, it does make, make the game rules, and it does make the eligibility rules, but it doesn't have anything to do with the championship playoff. So taking that away, it, it, it does some structural things. And I, as I said, I think it's going to increase the burden on those schools more than they imagine. Uh, but it doesn't really change the fundamental uh, structure of how the NCAA is operating now. They do all the other championships, including the one you mentioned, the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship and Final Four, which is so lucrative to everyone involved. And I think that every, every smart person I talk to in regards to this understands you can't recreate the NCAA tournament in any other way. You take it and just make it a high major uh, event and its value plummets. I saw a chart today of the top 100 television programs in America a year ago, and there were like about 90 football games in terms of NFL and college. And there were some political things and some Olympic things. And there were like four NCAA men's basketball tournament games. There were no NBA. That's how popular the NCAA tournament is. So I don't think that's going anywhere. Quickly, as we wrap up, Mark Emmert has left. Uh, Who might be next for the NCAA? could be anyway where and and I think that part of that comes to what will the association be when he when he or she takes over that uh, because again taking the football out changes it so who is going to want the job how lucrative will it be what will the mission be and and for that reason they have to understand what the NCAA is going to be before they understand who they need to fill the spot but Mike finally we're going to be okay are we, we are going to be okay I think we'll be <laughs> they're going to have to find a way to get names image and likeness right and they're going to have and that may take congressional action and the transfer portal thing I think is just going to have to work itself out people are just going to have to calm down Uh, they were passing out those waivers all those years and now you have uh, automatic eligibility I I think they'll get used to it it's not the best thing necessarily for the athlete but I think it in some ways it's been good for the games all right well Mike DeCourcy the Sporting News always look forward to your insights and I hope it's going to be okay (laughs) The new Wonder Road Music Festival is coming to Garfield Park, but can it succeed where others have failed? We talk about it with IBJ reporter Dave Lindquist. We were talking off camera. Uh, Music festivals in Indianapolis, central Indiana have a bit of a spotty history, right? Over the past two decades, uh, more than a handful have debuted and disappeared uh, for probably different reasons, the organizers would tell you, but I think the bottom line is, is if enough people buy tickets, that festival is going to stick around. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Wonder Road, Garfield Park, June 11 and 12. A uh, lot of uh, interest, anticipation for this. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the promoters there say this is going to be a success. Tell us about Wonder Road and why, why, why it can be uh, potentially that success they talk about. So the primary organizer of Wonder Road is a Cleveland company called Elevation Festivals. We have a couple of festivals, one in Columbus and one in uh, Cleveland, that have a good uh, thing going over the past few years, uh, pandemic notwithstanding. 
and they've partnered with MOK. They partnered with MOKB Presents, a uh, well-known name in concert promotion independently here in Indianapolis, and they say they're within striking distance of a sellout. So that'd be maybe 15,000 people in the park over two yeah. days. Wow, that would be uh, interesting to see. Uh, there's another music festival too, All In, right? It's gonna be at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. Yeah, they're, uh, they arrived in bunches, uh, at least <laughs> two this, this summer. Uh, the All In Festival is gonna be Labor Day weekend at the Indiana State Fair. A couple of very uh, prominent names in Indiana music history are two of the organizers of that one, Steve Sabesma and Dave Lucas, who, uh, you know, were the co-owners of Sunshine Promotions uh, back in the day. They're the gentlemen who built uh, Deer Creek, now Ruoff Music Center, and they uh, yeah. revamped uh, Old National Center. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Very good. Uh, music festivals returning to Indianapolis and Dave Lindquist. I know you will be all over it and uh, have a lot of great uh, content in the IBJ. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. And finally, our insiders break down the business news making headlines throughout Indiana. This week's panel includes Indy Chamber Vice President Portia Bailey Bernard, Bose Public Affairs Group Principal Roger Harvey, and Marion University Vice President of Strategic Growth and Innovation, Kenneth Britt. A lot of news to, to talk about, uh, growth uh, really on the docket, including uh, population growth. I, I think a lot of areas around Indiana losing population, but if you look at the fastest growing areas, Westfield continues to be, uh, Portia, the fastest growing community in the state of Indiana. A lot of, uh, lot of action happening there. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, but my initial reaction to all of it is, where are these people gonna yeah, live? Right. I can speak to only Indianapolis, but we're experiencing a housing crisis here in our community, just like a bunch of cities across the country. For our downtown, for example, multifamily occupancy is above 93%. Wow. Just a few years ago, people were saying, we're building too many apartments, we're building too many apartments. Now we can't have enough apartments. Right. I mean, we really truly need a diversity in all of our housing, single family, multifamily, yeah. affordable, and market. Is there an answer? It would probably take a half an hour to answer that. Yeah, no, so I mean, Mayor Hogsett an administration last month announced um, an affordable housing plan, which put uh, leveraged federal dollars to go towards anti-displacement programs, as well as the creation of more affordable housing. To that point, we just encourage our developers in our community, yeah. we just need more housing. Yeah. And I would just add to that, we'd go back to Westfield, you know, Hamilton County for a number of years has been one of the fastest growing counties in right. the country. Right. And so Westfield, you know, was most recently a town when you look at the other big mm -hmm. cities in Hamilton County. You know, they have grown tremendously under one mayor, this mm -hmm. is under Mayor Andy Cook, they made that transition from town to city, and now you're gonna start hearing a lot of talk and conversation about changing Westfield to a second class city. Um, Westfield's one of, one of two cities in the state that's not second class, and that brings a host of um, benefits that larger cities have with a controller and so forth, so that's where yeah. you're gonna see Westfield headed. That's an interesting point. Uh, Boone County, now the fastest growing, it looks county in the state, and right. Roger, I know, and full disclosure, I think Lily may be a, a client Interviewers, but that announcement, two manufacturing plants, 500 high paying jobs, adds on to some things already going on there now. A lot, lot happening in Lebanon. And Boone well, County. absolutely. And I, and I think the Lebanon mayor said it best, and Boone County said it best. This is the largest investment ever we've seen yeah. in, in Boone yeah. County. And what, what people don't realize about this manufacturing, these two plants, is that the indirect jobs will be mm -hmm. several thousand. These are vendors, people that are working in those mm -hmm. facilities day in and day out. And then you also have construction jobs, over 1,500 of them plus 500 high 
high paying jobs. And it just is a testament to what Lilly means to central Indiana and the state of Indiana, quite frankly. Those indirect jobs are going to be really important, mm -hmm. right? The high paying jobs are great. The investment that Lilly made in North Carolina, those jobs, if we're keeping track, was averaging $70,000. Mm -hmm. We got the $100,000 plus jobs, but those indirect jobs are going to be really, mm -hmm. really critical. It's interesting that this investment comes on the heels of Dave Rick's presentation to the mm -hmm. Indiana uh, Economic Club. And, you know, how we are really proud of this investment, exciting opportunity, but there's so much more that we need to do to make investments in education, to mm -hmm. improve education outcomes for all and the health outcomes. Those disparities have to be addressed if we're going to continue to see investments like this going forward. Do, people talk about uh, the potential for a research triangle type situation from Purdue down to, to Boone County, the airport, uh, Indianapolis, obviously. Is that a realistic expectation? Absolutely. I mean, you have Purdue, which is a major research one university, uh, great leadership there. You have uh, universities here in the city, both public and private university, mm -hmm. Marion University starting the engineering school uh, that's opening. So there's so much opportunity here that if we can focus on our neighborhoods, getting students of color, uh, those who haven't been part of those STEM fields like uh, Dave Ricks talked about, we have to start early and mm -hmm. there's a great opportunity for us to do so. A big economic development announcement uh, in Northwest Indiana meets by Lens coming from Chicago, breaking ground on a new, a major new facility there. Uh, $35 million uh, investment, 300 jobs. What I thought was interesting, uh, Portia, about back to the population is Lake County gaining some population. So I know there have been a number of efforts in that part of the state to attract people to come across from Illinois, live and, and uh, uh, you know, grow in Indiana and work in downtown Chicago. I mean, what they're doing, those efforts in marketing to, uh, to bring folks to that community is great. I, I had no idea until I saw that study that they mm -hmm. were growing as fast as they were. But I mean, the quality of life, that's how you attract talent and, and folks to your community. So I mean, kudos to them on, on, on that expansion. Yeah, Roger, what do you think about that strategy? Because I think it's interesting and seems to be working. Now this transformational two projects with the South Shore Rail Line expansion and that, making that uh, trip to downtown Chicago much easier, much better. It seems to be their position for more growth possibly. Right, I think it's it's just the latest example of what you're seeing uh, from a regional perspective, and this goes back to several years ago when the IEDC gave away those regional grant dollars. Mm -hmm. Is that everybody's finding their uniqueness, right? And so, yeah. you know, while the while the governor is selling the state, if you will, to companies to come here, it's up to each individual region to find their uniqueness, and that's what you're seeing there. And the yeah. benefits paying off getting that company. To I want to get there. everybody's take on the Indy 500. It seemed as though the buzz was back, the fans were back, obviously big crowd. Roger, I'll start with you. You're take on the final. I think it's uh, it was wonderful. I mean, you, you look at the younger, the rookie drivers, they're talking yeah. about how great it is to have Roger Penske, you yeah. know, uh, and the ownership of it. And for, for Roger Penske, it was the first opportunity since he bought that facility that he could show it to off see it, yeah. and show off all the investments, mm -hmm. everything from the golf course to the restrooms, to the stands, the monitors, everything. Yeah. And weather couldn't have been better. Yeah. Portia, I know you were there. I saw your social media I posts did. with your handsome family. Yeah. I got to bring my uh, one and a half year old daughter out to the track and she she loved every moment of it. But Indy 500 is a huge economic yeah. driver for yeah. our city and state. The Indy 500 alone, not the entire season, just the 500 generates uh, roughly 350 to $400 million. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, it's amazing. And from an economic development perspective, when you want to host and bring companies yeah. internationally to our state to move here, I mean, there's nothing better than bringing them to the track and showcasing our state. Greatest spectacle in racing, right? I mean, great, great way to end it. it. We're out of time. Greatest spectacle in racing. Couldn't, couldn't put it uh, better.
That wraps up this week's Inside Indiana Business television podcast. Remember, you can find all of this week's TV segments, as well as the top business news from throughout the state, at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. While you're there, you can also subscribe to our platform of free e-newsletters. This is Andy Ober for Inside Indiana Business.